0: That's a good question uh so i think like every kid i started off as a biker right and that it was a fun way to get around uh independently without having to rely on your parents and uh, <laughs> and as an adult it's a fun way to get around independently without having to rely on fossil fuels so mm-hmm. like it's a it's a wonderful thing it's it's healthy for me it's better for the planet it saves money there's just zero downside except for the occasional rainstorm but as a biker i've developed very good skills at mooching rides home from people
1: (laughs) no i was i mean i was really thinking about it before the before uh you know the podcast driving up here i was like all right it's sprinkling just a little bit i was like is she gonna ride her bike or not what (laughs) is is there is there like a, a breaking point at which you're like all right no bike right now
0: so so i bike as a for transportation and i bike for fun Mm -hmm. and in general like my husband and i took a 22 mile ride this morning and and the rules for a fun ride is if it's raining when you're starting no pack it up and go back inside Mm -hmm. um but for transportation around carbondale as long as there's no lightning and it's not just a downpour that you can't see through Mm -hmm. um i'll go on my bike i the more significant standard is how many degrees down will I go on the thermometer? And <laughs> there I've made it down to 20 and I've decided that 20 and below is just not smart to be out biking because mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't figure out how to keep my eyes warm. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember riding back one day as a, as a teacher at SIU, you get to take a class for free at SIU mm-hmm. anytime, it's the most fabulous gig around. And I was coming back from a French class and choosing to Alternate which eyes I was closing. <laughs> and I thought that's just a sign that I should not be biking today. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's quite. The, Isn't it ridiculous? That, that's quite the mindset yeah. of uh, about it is because you're. I, I'm a motorcycle guy. I'm used to two yeah. wheels, just not in a particular uh, fashion. And your helmets don't generally come with face shields. Right. Maybe that's
0: what I need. Maybe I need a motorcycle helmet, and then I can drop it down lower than 20 degrees. <laughs> or maybe was, that's just not smart anyway. I,
1: I, I, will, I will say it. It it is it, it it worries me when I see folks riding or skateboarding or any sort mm-hmm. of anything that puts the body in motion on wheels without some sort of cranial protection. Oh, I always wear a helmet. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's we've got a lot invested in here, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's uh that is quite the quite the good spot for a segue because we hope that you'll invest up here for the 80th episode of the WTF Carbondale podcast, where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives and tie it all back to this little old place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois. And somebody who is so Carbondale it hurts. <laughs> 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 uh, with, with a name synonymous with, with Southern Illinois. Sheila Simon, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having it. me. Um, no, I am. Um, I, so Schwartz, after so many years, finally got a nice redoing. Mm -hmm. right um you know this is shucks this may have been five six years now or maybe longer at this point but i i would i rode my bike uh one time to to a friend's house over just off of shorts and coming off hot onto the really nice freshly paved like flat concrete ready to go took a took a turn too sharp bit it flipped land on my head if it wasn't for a helmet (laughs)
0: helmet is very important yeah Yeah. absolutely
1: have do you is there a is there a safety component i mean do you do you find yourself you know under you know under threat of the traffic around you just navigating Mm -hmm. the the general space and in a bicycle and and like how do you how do you deal with that
0: i am always watchful for drivers who are on their phones, Mm -hmm. who are looking at their phones, who are holding their phones illegally to their head while they're driving Mm -hmm. because those folks are often the people who are going to run the red light or not see me. So I... I wait until I get eye contact from the driver before nice. I go out in the road because yeah, not all of them are paying attention and they're much more protected than I am. So uh, that's I, good. I try to err on the side of caution. Yes. Well,
1: and then as we as we kind of get into the the new bike infrastructure in town that's kind of yeah. all over the place, I feel like this is your jam. I'm just gonna hand it over to you and let you do your thing. Hey,
0: can I say in addition <laughs> to Oakland, which has fabulous bike lanes now mm-hmm. on both sides all the way. Uh, from the Burger King to uh, campus, mm-hmm. um, I just went two days ago to a meeting at City Hall, an opportunity to see the design for the new intermodal mm-hmm. station. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went to be the bike advocate. I went, you need to have <laughs> bike parking there, and it mm-hmm. needs to be sheltered. And they had it all in these, you know, their their very first draft kind of drawings. Uh-huh. But they've got several different bike places to park in the in the design. Uh, one of them that's under a shelter, uh, and they're talking about maybe even having bike lockers so that if you oh, wow. bike to the station and take the train up to Chicago and don't come back for a couple of days, you can actually hmm. lock your bike inside. And it's so cool because they said, well, we looked at all these things because we want this to be a LEED certified building. Yeah. And the LEED standards say, hey, think about bikers. And is just and stop me if I go on too no, long on no, this. This is it. This is the is the best place to bike in, right? Yeah. Climate-wise, you can bike almost all year long, as long as you don't mind a little heat, and you know, hey, you can change clothes when you get home. Yeah. Um uh, there's just a little bit of time in the winter where you can't bike. It's mostly flat. Um we have no interstate cutting through town. We have mm-hmm. no river cutting through town. So you can get wherever it is you need to go. On your bike and it's really cheap and what a deal! Yeah,
1: yeah. well, and and the you know we're we're expanding even now at four million dollars for for this pathway out through and to Crab Orchard, yeah. which I imagine is pretty bike centric as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, we bike out that way, but always on roads. Um, so to have uh, to have a safe way to go along thirteen to mm-hmm. get out that way towards Crab Orchard and have access to the roads within the refuge there is going to be fabulous Uh, along with we're on the the national bike trail mm -hmm. right the bicentennial bike trail that goes from the west coast to the east coast passes through carbondale
1: illinois do you have you like made friends through that that you still keep in contact with is that something that you ever like delved into as they come through town we've
0: had the most recent time was uh two bikers who were grad students in international studies Mm -hmm. who wanted to call attention to the need for more diversity and people studying international studies. Decided to do that by way of a bike ride across the United States. Uh-huh. Maybe not the best PR plan <laughs> but, but you know, we're happy to help them and, and uh, we had them stay at our house and, and put them up. They actually stayed two nights because, uh, because it was super hot um, and it was really fun to hang out with them and to watch them eat. Mm-hmm. Man, oh man, could these kids put away food? Oh, I'm sure. One man, one woman, and uh, uh, we had already planned to have dinner with a bunch of folks over that night. So, so we're cleaning up the table, and, and they're like, "Oh, are you not? Is no one going to eat this?" We're like, "Sure." <laughs> go ahead. And there was just nothing left over because they just ate everything. Yeah. It was a beautiful thing to see.
1: Well, and you got to have that caloric intake if you're going to be putting the pedals right. of the road like right. that. Right, and
0: they were, you know, real thin, skinny little <laughs> toothpicks of people, just shoveling <laughs> it in. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's too funny. Yeah. That's too funny. Well, the, um, you know, like I was saying uh, before the podcast, kind of one of the big jumping off points is is people's origin story of how they came to be in Carbondale, and you're not originally a born and raised Carbondale person as some people may or may not assume. Right. (laughs) Right. So, uh, I was born in Troy, Illinois, closer up
0: to St. Louis, the Metro East area. Mm -hmm. Uh, and our family moved, let's say from Troy to Springfield for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, uh, when Kenny Gray announced the first time that he wasn't going to run for office again, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, because he was in office and then was out of office and then, and then, in office again, uh, dad decided that, that he would run for that seat in Congress. And and uh, that's when we moved to Carbondale and uh, have been Jackson County residents ever since. <laughs>
1: that was in... a long time ago, like the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a really long time ago now that I think about it. Yeah. Uh, is there, I mean, is there any particular thing that's just kept you and, and Perry here? Like just... Saying, "Oh well, we want to raise the family here. This is this is the best place that we could ever have thought to be, regardless. And so we're we're gonna keep it going." Or... So,
0: so my husband Perry is from Randolph County, from mm-hmm. Steelville, Illinois. So not too far away. Um, um you could bike there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you have... guys bike? Oh there. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, And so we're both from the area Mm -hmm. and we've both spent time away from Southern Illinois as well. Uh, He, in particular, in the Peace Corps, he was in Ecuador. um, And so he's lived away. I've lived out in D.C. a bunch. Uh, And so we both can compare Southern Illinois to other places in the world. Mm -hmm. And for me, the comparison to Washington, D.C. is, well, I love Washington and there's just there's amazing people and amazing things to do. Um it's just so driven. It's so goal oriented. Mm-hmm. Um and back here I find that the way I phrase it is there's a better balance between uh mission and barbecue. <laughs> right? <laughs> is that we have our missions uh-huh. and we also take time to enjoy cooking out in the backyard and hanging out with our friends. Yeah. Uh and that, at least for me, is a good fit. Yeah. And and then uh, you know, when we got married and uh We actually mooched off my parents. We lived at their house in Macanda when we were first married. Nice. Um, And then we moved into town before our older daughter, Riley, started Mm -hmm. school because we wanted uh, her and our next daughter, Brennan, uh, when when she arrived, we wanted them to be able to go to school in Carbondale because we see tremendous advantages to the Carbondale school system. And you know that as a Carbondale guy.
1: Absolutely.
0: it's not something that that a lot of people focus attention on but the size of Carbondale is just right mm-hmm. for a school system that can include everybody mm-hmm. right um, so the way it was you know this your 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 first grade buddies are gonna be with you in your first mm-hmm. grade school and your second grade school and mm-hmm. then they'll all go to the, to the third and fourth grade school mm-hmm. together so every time you go to the grocery store with your parents and you see another third grader, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're going to know the third grader, no matter where that third grader is from in Carbondale. You're going to know that person. Um, And given that Carbondale has a rich diversity of population, that means people get to know each other. Um, I have plenty of friends and family members who live in larger cities um, with bigger populations, and even more diversity than we have. right? But because of where they live, which is often separate from each other, mm-hmm. they don't get to experience it. Yeah. Right? But Carbondale, we're all here together. We've got, we've got and now we have more than one, we've got a farmer's market, mm-hmm. right? We have a Carbondale library, mm-hmm. places that we can all get together no matter what part of town, because we do have residential segregation in Carbondale yeah. historically. Yep. Um, but no matter where we're from in Carbondale, we have things that bring all of us together, and that's that's a cool thing
1: that's not available everywhere what's it like growing up in a household that probably had a better grasp on these issues like you just mentioned residential segregation Mm -hmm. right and the the social issues that that we have as a country whether they're of our own making or whether they simply exist right i mean because it's a difference between you know, the world that I'm raising my kids in now, mm-hmm. right, and where they probably hear a lot of stuff that's very similar to a lot of what their their friends and their friends' parents had to say. But maybe the the thoughts that your dad had and your mom <laughs> had and shared around the house weren't necessarily jiving directly with with the entirety of the conversation, you know, back in the '70s, '80s, what what have you.
0: Yeah, I suppose there were definitely ways that mom and dad sort of stood out, and the things that they cared about stood out. I know they would tell the story often, because they, uh, the first time that they really spent time together was when they were both in the Illinois State House. (laughs) How super nerdy is that? Uh I just love it. Um, (laughs) And and one of the things that drew them together was that they were, I don't know whether they were the only two or one of the few white representatives to list their membership in the NAACP Mm -hmm. in the Illinois State Blue Book. Mm -hmm. So that was like, oh, yeah, that Paul Simon, he's a cool guy. And he's like, oh, yeah, that Jean Hurley, she's pretty cool. And so so then they started going on. Their first dates were not really dates. They would, like, Dad would arrange some kind of, like, let's visit state institutions to supervise, you know, what we're doing to learn more about how the state works. And Mom's like, okay, fine.
1: So that's how they started seeing each other. Isn't that sweet? Uh, Is that... uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is there is there any balance between between that story and your and Perry's story? Was it also a political engagement? And one of you said, well, let's go to learn about this state institution. And the other was like, you know what? That sounds pretty good.
0: Kind of tragically, yes. So, um, so Perry and I had met to like say hello to each other previously, but the first time we actually talked to each other was at a Democratic picnic mm-hmm. at Riverside Park in Murfreesboro, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so we're talking there. This is when Adley Stevenson ran for governor and, and didn't win, and, uh, but it was a great campaign, a great effort, and, and he was there speaking, but Perry and I were off in the back talking with each other, and, and in the end, he gave me his business card from, he said, I work at a farm advocacy Nonprofit group, you ought to have my card. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the butterflies just win. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, so we went out to a movie at the old when the theater used to be in the mall. Mm-hmm. The first time around, uh-huh. right? Um, and and we saw a movie. And the movie wouldn't have even mattered, but it was called Desert Hearts. It was a lesbian love story uh-huh. in Carbondale in 1980. 786, 86. 86. Um, and there was lots of humorous elements in it, and a lot of the people in the audience were just like uncomfortable. And, <laughs> and Perry laughed at every single one of the jokes. I'm like, well, I just really like this guy." Um, Ten days later, he asked me to marry him, and yeah, yeah what, what? That's right. What? 10, 10 days, he asked me to marry him, and, uh, and I said, yes because I had already calculated this is the right guy. And yeah. I'm going to go about 30 days. And at that point, if he doesn't ask me to marry him, I'm going to ask him to marry me. So, wow, I know. And then we didn't tell anyone for a long time because we're like, that's ridiculous. No one will think that we're sane, and we probably weren't sane. but that's 33 years ago. And we've been happily married ever since.
1: <laughs> my, my wife tells me, I I, I, I was kind of the last person that any of my friends, anybody around me ever thought would get married at any point in time Uh in my life. I just got to do a bad job of holding very personal relationships. (laughs) And my wife loves to tell the story of, the first time I met him, I knew. And she went and she told her father and said, "This is the man that I'm going to marry." Really? And that was that. And I didn't know it for a year and a half. But wow! But she, she knew was right, right away. <laughs> that's cool. That's very cool. So I can I can I can dig on the just you, you guys both knew. That's right. It's right. And you almost like <laughs> the 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 I think the other interesting component of that is the the speed at which both of you move, like not willing right. to just sit on your hands <laughs> and hope and think and whatever, and and no, you're just like, all right, I gotta act.
0: Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So how long have you been married now?
1: Uh, let's see, um, twenty nineteen March twenty eighth. Yeah,
0: using your fingers. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm,
1: I'm I'm getting through it. So it's only it's only been a couple of years yeah. now, but I mean, still, it's it's a couple of years into a lifetime. Yeah. Um, A good thing. Yeah. I, I just, uh, it, and it's for me, it's, it's cool. Uh, the, the, the step kids uh, are, are twins. They are 11 now living in grandpa's old house that, that I bought when he passed away several oh. years ago. And it's just like, it's very like, it feels like the story that's supposed to be in the place where it mm-hmm. is. Right. And so like, I, I, I go home at any point in time Uh, day or night and it and it just feels like oh this is what's supposed to be here like Uh this is how this space is supposed Mm. to be occupied that's wonderful yeah
0: yeah uh, cool
1: i I just get that that feeling oh now you got me off on all feeling butterflies and emotions and all that fun stuff i appreciate that that works yeah yeah (laughs) well and then and then you know we were talking about the the kids uh you know again before before jumping on the podcast here um you know, so, so you've got Riley, and mm-hmm. then you your other daughter's... other daughter's Brennan. Brennan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So
0: <laughs> Riley is living out in D.C. with her husband. She's working at the State Department. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brennan is... <laughs> Brennan was in the Peace Corps in Mongolia when the mm-hmm. pandemic started, and almost done with her two years there. Uh, but we sort of kept an informal watch on the airports that you can leave from Mongolia. Mm-hmm. And one by one, they were all shutting down, and it finally got to uh, 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 Russia. was the only way to get out. And mm-hmm. then the State Department said, yeah, we're sending all the Peace Corps volunteers home. Um, there's a really large bug crawling up your cord, by the way, uh, just so that you
1: know. Ah, that it is. And it's, and pretty it's pretty enormous. Cricket, and it's I a cricket, really okay really hate crickets but that's okay we're just, just gonna, gonna stay there and leave it alone and hope that it doesn't jump into me because i will lose right.
0: my mind oh yeah send it my right. way yeah there we go great now it's, thanks nathan now yeah. It's, yeah well, well <laughs> anyway we stay there yeah uh, it'll be fine it's now that i know it, it's a cricket i'm okay with that
1: um i've got an idea keep talking yeah i've got a i've got an idea here
0: <laughs> so brennan came home from mongolia and she has a job in new york city which she's working remotely from the basement in Mom and Dad's house in Macanda. Oh yeah.
1: The cricket is gonna be a thing, oh my God. So
0: I'm gonna be now offering the play-by-play on the of, of how capture of down. the cricket. Nathan oh. is now disassembling a water bottle, a water bottle. Don't and go is gonna try and get a cricket in a water bottle. Oh, and it jumped and... Got it. And now it's losing its N- mind. Now... We're just gonna leave alone. Now the cricket is going to reside there for the <laughs> remainder of the podcast, <laughs> after which Nathan can slip a piece of paper and, and escort the cricket outside. <laughs> or I'll do that if he's got the willies about that.
1: <laughs> that is the... I, and, and this goes back to um, uh, you know the, the partnership component. Um, my wife is the bug handler in the house. Oh. I, I am not the... I'm, I do not... <laughs> well it's i'm not my thing sounds so, like you married well <laughs> yeah this this is this is a very this she'll she'll i'll tell her this story and she'll be like i'm real proud of you nathan you took charge of the situation because you didn't have a choice <laughs> <laughs> yes you did and the uh, cricket appears
0: to be fairly calm yeah. where the cricket is right now
1: yeah, it doesn't and if it we'll see if it tries to start jumping and anywho so <laughs> so uh you're 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 trying to get um, your daughter, uh, the cricket motions out of Mongolia yes. <laughs> start hopping. Yes. yes.
0: So she made it out of Mongolia. And uh, I don't think she really envisioned spending her 26th year on the planet uh, in such close proximity with her parents. But <laughs> we think it's wonderful. We right. enjoyed it very much. Um, and then since since the vaccination and things loosened up, before recently they started to go the wrong direction again. Mm -hmm. She's been traveling around the country and seeing a bunch of her friends and working Mm -hmm. remotely from their places, which is kind of a fascinating thing about how this has all gone down, is that Mm -hmm. we've developed new ways to get
1: our work done uh, that are kind of cool, right? What's it been like for you as a teacher making this transition? Stinky, (laughs) stinky.
0: And now just having the mask Thing reimposed at the law school at, on campus mm-hmm. I was so looking forward to seeing my students faces mm-hmm. um, I took one semester at SIU with my again the benefit of being able to take a class I took mm-hmm. a class in the Irish language they had a teacher from Ireland she was fabulous and there was just six of us maybe in the class and I'd always thought oh I'm you know pretty good at learning languages this will be fun my mother's family is Irish, I'll get to learn some heritage Mm -hmm. stuff. And I was the one in class who was just so often sitting there with that face on, like, (laughs) what? And so it gave me great new appreciation for when my students have that face. Uh I'm like, okay, just went over that one too fast, let's back up. And with the masks on, all I've got is their eyes. Mm -hmm. And with social distancing, man, they were, the first semester I taught a class of like 30 people-ish in the auditorium at the law school. So some of them are just crazy far back, and I mm-hmm. can't see even even whether they're going cross-eyed with what I'm telling them. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting back to a little bit more interaction with my students. Now, we've always had the ability for students to be zooming in, and I can see them a little better, yeah. but...
1: Computer screens only do so much.
0: Yeah, I know my participation in meetings and conferences that are over Zoom is not of the highest quality. I get a lot of other work done, I'll say. (laughs) Um, So I'm I'm looking forward to getting everyone vaccinated Mm -hmm. and getting back to where we can be in person again, see that reaction, get that sense of immediacy, get my students engaged. Because particularly the first year students property law, which is what I teach the first-year students, mm-hmm. is maybe not everyone's dream of, oh, I get to learn property <laughs> law today. Tell me more about the old English men in tights. Um, it's, it, it takes a little bit to get engaged, and I work mm-hmm. on that, but it helps if we're
1: all in the same room together. So, um, so is, is, there a, is there a pretty strong history component to some of the teaching that you do in this case then? And, and I'm going to relate this back to John Davy at the School of Architecture, because when I, when I did his podcast, he was talking about how he would come in dressed up as figures from the periods of architecture that he was discussing, right? And that his teaching wasn't just about, well, here's how you can build this and here's that shape and whatever else, that there was so much more to it. The nuance of the stories that have led to what is in place now, and very similar, I would imagine, with law, that there's so much story behind it.
0: It's a lot of, lot of history, and a lot of our law, particularly property law, is built on really ancient English stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I... I, I, I I'll have to talk call up John and see more <laughs> How about are you his, handling his this? costumes. i have not I have not gotten into costumes yet myself, although I have forced my students to don costumes. Um, <laughs> and I do give them the award for for something spectacular in my property class is Livery of Season. Uh-huh. I'll have to take a minute to explain this. So ancient English days before there were lots of records about who owned property. They wanted to do something that people could remember, mm-hmm. and they would, they would hand a clod of dirt, sometimes with a stick in it, from the person who was selling the property to the person who was getting the property, and they'd call around a young person in the community, maybe your 11-year-old twins, mm-hmm. uh, to have them watch this ceremony, and then also sometimes they would kick the kid so the kid would remember it even better. Uh, Right. This is called livery of season, like,
1: like literally marking the child so that that is almost like the signature that. So, so 30 years
0: from now, this person is going to be an adult and he's going to be like,
1: oh, yeah, I remember
0: that. That was horrible. My next door neighbor kicked me in the behind while they gave a clot of dirt to the other guy. And so there we go. There's our witness. We now know who owns the property. (laughs) Um, So I do, in fact, as an award in class, when someone does something spectacular, do give out livery of season, which in this case involves no physical violence, Uh uh, just the handing of a dirt clod to my student. (laughs) Who wouldn't want that? I have challenged every single one of them who's received it to list it on their resume because I know that would get a, a question in an interview. What? You got the livery of season award from Professor Simon?
1: <laughs> that is... that, And that translates to a good conversation among whoever they're having that conversation with that's trying to hire them.
0: They're, they're going to know about livery yeah. of season. They're going to remember this weird story from yeah. their first year of law school. Like, yeah. great,
1: you have a 3.9 GPA and this and that and the other accolade, but you were able to string together a very personable component to... Your time in school and yeah. hand that off to us as a reason why you're a more well-rounded person for this position. Exactly,
0: <laughs> and I'll tell you one of the neat things about SIU—we're we're one of the smaller law schools in the country. I really do get to know my students, mm-hmm. uh, and when when someone calls up with a reference question, um, you know, I can say, "Oh, yeah, this is a student who uh, was always ready for class. This is a student who." Who turned in flawless papers because they asked a lot of questions in advance? Mm-hmm. You know, I really know my students. I know which one of them, which ones of them have really warped senses of humor and would be great to work with in an <laughs> office, right? Um, so, yeah, it's a nice, it's a wonderful place uh, to really get to know students. That motivates me greatly as a teacher.
1: Have you were were you? Um, I guess how long have you been teaching for? Like when when did that? Gosh
0: um i started full-time at the law school when brennan was four years old and she's 26 now so Mm -hmm. 22 years yeah and i taught there part-time while doing other things before that yes
1: yeah Uh, of course
0: i did take a little time off to do other things (laughs) well yeah
1: yeah i mean it's yeah it's it's not like you haven't been i don't know the lieutenant governor of the state of illinois or anything (laughs) i have a hard time holding a steady job yeah (laughs) well it's so funny to me in in that sense i i've had you know mentors that chastise me regularly for well you you don't hold a job this and you don't stay on focus that or blah 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 it's like yeah but do you see this big picture of a universe around me of which I have immersed myself into and then just finding the work to do along the way not I go into work and I work the same job for 30 years and I cash out of retirement and that's that you know like that's people miss that component to just because you're not in one place all of the time doesn't mean you're not constantly working on a much grander vision of what you think the world could be around
0: oh here. absolutely and, and there's a big generational difference between folks my age and older mm-hmm and folks your age mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, do I want to commit myself to a single employer for a career? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think very few people find that that's a comfortable thing to say, uh, You know, I can make a commitment to my spouse. <laughs> that, <laughs> but Yes, this is gonna stick and this is what I wanna do, but, uh, but no, I don't have to keep the same haircut and I don't have to keep the same job if I find an opportunity to do something that, that fits me and, and the time uh, and, the, and what I want to achieve in the big picture better. Have you, I think always, been, have you always been a
1: short hair person? Now that you say haircut, um, <laughs> i got to
0: <laughs> I did have long hair, let's see, in college, and then I cut it off. And I, did, I, was, I was a high jumper in uh-huh. college, uh, and I did much better when I cut my hair off. So I'm like, oh, yeah, well, that's clearly the key, yeah. key to success, keep the haircut short. <laughs> and then in law school, when I was on a very seriously limited budget, I went to, it could be considered a mullet, um, Nice. something that I could cut, and I could cut my own, whoops, Not, sorry, you're all right. you're good. cut my own front hairs, because I can see those in a mirror in the back, mm-hmm. I just cut across like that. Uh, so the old no cost haircut (laughs) (laughs) and it was worth it, man. (laughs) It was, you could see all the value that was not put into that haircut. (laughs) And now I am a a regular devotee of Judy at Harebrains in Carbondale. Nice. Locally owned business. (laughs) You're like, this is, she does much better than I ever did.
1: (laughs) No, No more, no more partial bowl cuts. Now, now I want you to, I mean, the mullets are fashionable again, Sheila. That's. <laughs> I know. I know.
0: So, my buddy Cynthia Heisner at work, who I was telling you about yeah, earlier, yeah, who's a follower of your programs here, uh, told me that her husband uh, decided he needed to get a haircut and he came back home with a mullet. Oh, my yeah. Gosh. So, it's... he's maybe more of a pioneer than I know about. <laughs> the,
1: the... Let's hear it for Blaine Heisner. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the ebb and flow. There will. The styles that were once will come back around again. I can't wait for you know a hundred years from now when it's digital bell bottoms and Mm -hmm. you know now you've just got light up LEDs strewn about these giant pants and I don't know. I'm just throwing out silly stuff for the sake. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, think about like the height or the length of men's basketball shorts. Yeah. Right. They. I mean, you can really tell. They're like. They're like phones right? If someone picks up like one of these, you're like, oh, okay, uh-huh. <laughs> 80s. Um, and and if they've got their really short shorts on, you can tell that that's a different era than what we're in now. Yeah, yeah. That's, that is the truth.
1: Right. Well, and, and on eras, so kind of stepping back into uh, one of the things you had mentioned about having a love for language. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when you would have gone through high school, would that have been some of the earlier days of David Mendrisky by chance, or was it not quite, he would have not quite been there? I, and I throw that out there just because I know David Mendrisky is just this well known multilingual teacher who's got decades in at the high school, and you mentioned foreign language, and somebody thinks David Mendrisky in Carbondale.
0: It's, unfortunately, I did not make any connections because we moved to the DC area when I started high school. Oh, so I didn't, that makes I, sense. I went to, I went to the old Lincoln Junior High, which uh-huh. is where the police station is now. Um, it's a really old building, um, and then and then when Dad got elected to Congress, we moved out to the D.C. area. So I went to high school
1: out there. Oh, what was was that a was that a shock itself? Going from a lifetime in at least some part of Southern Illinois. That
0: was huge. <laughs> um, so here's one. So in 1970 six, the nation's bicentennial. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dad was back home here in Southern Illinois, but we were out in DC for the 4th of July. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and we're sitting down around the Washington Monument and we're watching the fireworks go up. And all we've experienced in our life before is Southern Illinois fireworks. And Mm -hmm. every single thing they shot up, we're like, that's the grand finale. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it can't get better than that. And and that was just the very beginning. So yeah, yeah. Um, huge sizes of everything. Like the, uh, the high school had 600 people in a graduating class that I we went to out there. Um, just more people involved in everything. Um, but again, more political opportunities, more opportunities to see parts of the world. I had a part-time job at a fabric store in the mall close to where we lived. And there'd be people come from everywhere speaking lots of other languages, Mm -hmm. which was very cool. Um, So some of it was hard to get used to in terms of the number of people. Yeah. Uh, And some of it was really cool. Yeah.
1: So it's just... it just always been around the 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 politics and when i say the politics i don't mean the the general you know politics politics as much as the the functional aspect of of government you've just always been around my
0: parents met like i said earlier yeah. when they were in the state house dad was in elective office for pretty much all my life except for one year when he lost uh, he ran for governor and mm-hmm. lost in the primary Uh, and so there was four years when he wasn't in elected office yeah so that was just that was normal for me yeah and so when people ask you know what's it like for that and I'm like well what's it like to grow up with a dad who wasn't in politics it's just that was just our family Um, but there did come with certain rules and and of course he was also a newspaper publisher yes so in the morning I mean, my parents were both people of faith, but they th- had an even stronger faith in reading the newspaper in the morning, and <laughs> breakfast time was not for chatting. <laughs> I mean, my buddies who would come and sleep over were, were like kind of surprised that no one said anything at breakfast, and I'm well, it's because we're reading the newspaper, because mm-hmm. that's what breakfast is. <laughs> um, so Feed yeah. your
1: body, feed your mind. Right,
0: right, yeah. Yeah, so I've definitely been engaged in a... In a, the role as like an up close observer at the very least mm-hmm. of the political scene for, for a lifetime, which is, pretty fabulous, I have to say.
1: W- was was there always, or did, did it feel like there was an expectation of pursuing and, and participating in, in, in standing for election as well or was that a decision or you know over the course of time at, at different points decisions that you made more on your own as opposed to oh I've just got to look at at you know at my last name and, and my upbringing and just I have to do this.
0: <laughs> I, I think my parents it was kind of like a bottom line expectation. you both you and your brother have to be involved in some way. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the running for office, but you know enough about how this works. You've got to campaign for good people. You've got to be engaged. You've got to work on getting your friends out to vote. Um, And it wasn't until... um, And and people often ask me to run for office, I think, because of Dad, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, you've got a great last name. Um, Speaker Madigan once called me and asked me to run for the state house. This is many, many years ago. Um, And I... I said, uh, "I said, well, if you can move the state capitol back to Kaskaskia or Vandalia, I'll be happy to do that." <laughs> he did not laugh. This is a man of very little humor. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so, so I didn't run for the state house, uh, and he, because he didn't move the capital back anywhere that would be useful to me. What a shame! Yeah, um, <laughs> but I knew I knew enough about politics and the 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 commitment that it takes, that it's a total immersion kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, that I did not want to do that when my girls were little. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, uh, when the old high school on Springer Street was closing down, mm-hmm. folks in the neighborhood uh, were organizing about you know what's going to come next. Should we in- be involved? Should we have a say in this? Mm-hmm. And one of the folks in the neighborhood said, Oh, you know what, Sheila, they're adding two people to the city council this year. You ought to run, and that one I thought about, and I thought, you know, I could, I can do that, and I can still be at home with the daughters, still go to work, mm-hmm. um, not risking the family livelihood. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and so I ran for city council, and absolutely loved it. I just it was a really cool thing to be engaged in. Both the process of running for office, which you know very well. Yeah. Uh, and, and the process of serving in public office. So um, kind of had to get there my own way, but absolutely loved it.
1: Well, and, and serving in public office as lieutenant governor, right, I'm sure is, is a whole different scale. But at the same time, all of the fundamentals still play out like they're supposed to.
0: It's very interesting. I, I, I'm glad you made that observation because I often thought about that. I often thought how much I learned from service on the Carbondale City Council that was really useful to me as mm-hmm. Lieutenant Governor. And that's why um, I have to say I'm a big fan of Governor Pritzker right now, mm-hmm. uh, but I was not a supporter of his when he first ran for office because mm-hmm. he's never been elected to anything before. Yeah. And I thought, you really need to have some experience. He's proved me wrong, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he's done a good job. Uh, but But gosh, I've been at meetings of the Carbonell City Council, where if we would have just taken a vote when the council walked in on an issue without listening to what everyone had to say, we would have decided one way. And, but then if we listened to what everyone had to say, we made a very different decision. Yeah. Um, the uh, child care at the Irma Hayes Center mm-hmm. was one of those decisions. Big community involvement. And uh, after getting a sense of that, I think we made a much better decision um, uh, we looked at a smoking ban in Carbondale before the state enacted Ooh, one yeah. it came close to passing. I was a big advocate, D- didn't pass, but again, it, that, you know, they opened up all the partitions in city hall mm-hmm. and the room was packed and, um, it was one of the biggest disputes that I had with former Mayor Brad Cole, and mm-hmm. we get along now. We even wrote a column together, an op-ed in the Springfield State Journal Register recently about, mm-hmm. uh, about running for office and what you get mm-hmm. out of mm-hmm. that and how you can work together yep. no matter what. Um, Anyway, he said, well, how about let's just limit it to six people from each side? And I'm like, what? There's a room full of people, there are like 300 people here. We cannot limit democracy. Uh-huh. Uh, and so what we did was a time limit for every speaker, but we let everyone who wanted to say something come up and say something. And it was really useful. Um, we heard from a lot of different folks with more than just the superficial perspectives. Um, Sally Carter from Hangar 9 talked mm-hmm. about her concerns about what would happen to her business. Um, people talked about their concerns about uh, about customers going outside of Carbondale mm-hmm. because other places would mm-hmm. they'd be able to smoke. Um, we heard from employees of restaurants and bars who talked about their concern for their own health. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really uh, it was really moving, and I think we came closer. We didn't enact it then, uh, but we came closer, and I'm not sure that that didn't help you know, move the needle a little bit um, to get a statewide measure. I don't know. I have a fundamental belief that every time you get involved in the, in the campaign, win or lose, mm-hmm. you have an impact on the conversation, what conversation is being had. <sighs>
1: Ah, Don't you think so? uh, Yeah. Yeah. It just, I, it's, I don't mean to seek out affirmations in these conversations. (laughs) Sometimes they just happen. Mm -hmm. Right. I was talking about John's yesterday and just talking way too much about, you know, his strategy and, in building legitimacy with the conversations that the Institute has and, and essentially doing that same thing at a local scale with, with this project, but that just the same, right. I, there there's when there when there is an issue to stand on stand on it right the outcome almost doesn't matter to some extent the same as being willing to stand up and vocalize and move the needle because even if it doesn't work like at the level of the local smoking ban right, right. There could always be something else greater to pursue that meets that mission. And you just have to give it the time to play out. That's the other issue that people want the immediacy. They want right, it right. turned over now. They want to see the result. They want to, they want to know that the work is just done and it's over with and we're there, but don't recognize that. Yeah. It just, it takes the investment of, of energy, but you have to add time to it before right. you actually come to a solution.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, When I ran from air in which a race in which I failed, um, I talked a lot about, uh, solar power for the city and I had talked with Orbeck, yeah, local solar guru, um, about what within the city would work well for solar power. And he said the water treatment plant, Mm -hmm. lots of space, lots of power use right there. So that was, that was what I went for. We need to get solar power out of the water treatment plant. And, uh, and I didn't win the race, it didn't happen, yeah. but you look at City Hall right now, yeah. and we've got those beautiful solar panels that you can see from multiple directions yep. on top of City Hall. That thrills me. And I don't think that I laid the foundation or anything like that, but, but I was part of a conversation, part mm-hmm. of keeping the conversation going. Mm-hmm. The splash park in Carbondale. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, there were a lot of people for decades who have been working on that. And and if you look at it just one slice in time, if you look at one, it was often, it often came up as a, as a tax referendum, right? Mm-hmm. Will you vote to add more taxes to yourself to mm-hmm. build a Carbondale public swimming pool? And it was often turned down, I think largely based on race uh, and the history of race in Carbondale. Um, but people kept building on that effort. And now we have a public outdoor swimming pool in Carbondale. Yay. At last. Mm-hmm. Yay. Um, not in time for you to be a kid swimming there. <laughs> but that's okay. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we've got lots of kids swimming there now. Yeah. And, and it, um, there was a wonderful book. Oh, I can't remember the author or the title. Who It was a, it was all about the history of swimming and public swimming. Um, interestingly, uh, there was no racial segregation in swimming pools and bathing uh, until they started mixing genders, right? Because the public swimming pools were all for men, mm-hmm. except maybe they'd have a women's day once a week, mm-hmm. and so everyone could come there. But then when they said, "Okay, let's men and women can come there together," that's when people said, "Oh no, uh, we had to probably not do that with mm-hmm. with different races together." Um, so there's a lot of history of discrimination built into Mm -hmm. the history of public swimming. And, and one of the things that this author concluded at the end of the book was a a good swimming pool will, will have lots of discrimination. We'll have lots of grouping of people and it'll all be by age. (laughs) And that's exactly (laughs) what happens out there, right? It'll all be by age. (laughs) The tiny people are in the zero depth pool. Uh Uh, the teenagers are in the. Bigger pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the grandmas, I know in the morning when you can go there and swim laps, are, are walking in the lazy river in an exercise class, mm-hmm. and the middle-aged kids, the middle kids are are sliding down the slide, and uh, uh, and it's all strictly divided by age and nothing else.
1: And it's is it, beautiful. Is it... What is it like to pursue policy, pursue An action or agenda item whether you're the person or part of the group that kicks that over or not but to see it come to fruition and then on the other side get to participate right we opened up with the conversation about biking we're in here talking about the splash park now but these are tangible things that you can look at and say oh I actually I I didn't just you know we didn't just talk about it. like I get to engage in this now right
0: right um it's fabulous it's absolutely fabulous um When I was lieutenant governor, one of the things we worked on was a new uh, tax in the state of Illinois. Not everyone boasts about that, but Mm -hmm. I boast about this one. It was a tax on strip clubs. Uh We watched in Texas where they put a tax on strip clubs that serve alcohol because there's a a known connection between strip clubs that serve alcohol and sexual assault in the area. Mm -hmm. Not much of a surprise. Mm and of course, the strip club owners appealed that. They said it was messing with their constitutional rights to speak, and uh, up the court system, they all said just fine. No, that's not a problem. There's a yeah. close enough connection there. So we jumped on that, and uh, and now have a tax on strip clubs that serve alcohol in the state of Illinois. Hmm. It was a fascinating bill to work on because who knew that strip club owners were organized? Yeah, hired a big lobbyist. Um, and they were, and when I say big, I mean big. These were a bunch of big guys in dark suits, um, <laughs> against my overwhelmingly female staff in the lieutenant governor's <laughs> office. Uh, but we reached a. It's not exactly like the Texas law. It's something that they said as a, as a businesses. Here's this would work better for us. I'm like, okay, if that works better. So now that is it doesn't support sexual assault services completely by any way in the mm-hmm. state of Illinois. But it's some money that is regularly going to the women's center, to places all across the state that mm-hmm. respond to sexual assault, that work on prevention of sexual assault, um, to be able to uh, to know that that's working. Yeah,
1: it's a really cool thing. Well, and, and you're you're touching on something that's beyond beyond the the particular instance of, of sexual assault and its connection to um, to strip clubs, but the the idea that we allow for things that that have negative outcomes on the other end of them. We still allow for them, but then we try and introduce policy measures to offset for the negative things that occur because of that. Something that's sticking out in my mind is the um, the casino mm-hmm. coming in, right? And and what policy you build around these things to understand, okay, it inherently, right, at, at surface level, entertainment is not an, an awful thing. It's not a... You know, uh, a a bad thing, and that if people so choose to to entertain themselves in this way, let them go. Um, but then you hit a wall where you say, okay, well, now this is starting to have an impact on people's lives, whether it's a a, a you know something that's. That's violence. Something that's related to you know the financial health of somebody, whether it's you know related to to mental health and and uh, and services built around that. I don't know where I'm going with a question here. I'm just I like I'm just like connecting the two and thinking. Okay, yeah. right there there are there are vices that we all have and we seek to to uh, to engage in and, and enjoy life through. But then you know how do we put the guardrails on that that when people do fall out of of you know the safety curve on this that you know there is a system there to catch them on the other end and provide support provide services uh yeah. provide you know some sort of repair to the damage that uh, something that while it's not damaging you know maybe 95 98 of the people that come through the door it it's those one or two percent yeah. of people that we really have to care about
0: yeah so this is such a good question Uh, I wrote an article about this last summer that will be coming out at some point soon at the University of Illinois Law Review Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. how we make laws about gambling Mm -hmm. Uh, because there's moneyed interest on one side and no one speaking on the other, Mm -hmm. right? You've got the people who can make money from the casinos, and I don't mean to... Uh, to deny them, you know... the Participation in a free market. Right, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Um, And they're well-organized, and they can hire good lobbyists, right? Mm -hmm. Um, One semester at the law school, I worked in the senior citizen clinic where we provide free legal services for people 60 and over. I'm not sure if that's the exact right age. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, people who are in a tight spot, and and, uh, we represented a man... Who had been um, essentially abandoned by his wife after she had spent the family's money, uh, the, his pension savings, mm-hmm. at the riverboat? Uh, yeah, and it was it was horrific. And this is a this is like a normal family. This is yeah. a family with kids and community involvement and pillars of the community kind of thing. And mm-hmm. and. Uh, And this just destroyed the savings that they had literally worked a lifetime to build up. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's their voices that are never gonna get heard because until they're having that problem, they don't don't know it's a problem. Mm -hmm. And then once they've had the problem, they're focused on just getting by. Mm -hmm. They're not focused on, oh, and the next time I see my state senator, I'm gonna talk with her about the issue of how gambling can be bad for our families. Yeah. Uh, so it's a really good question. The one of the interesting thing, there's lots of ways that a, that a legislative body can work. Mm -hmm. It can work because it's very representative of people and, and you have someone there who's, who had an uncle who spent his family's savings gambling or Mm -hmm. something like that. But we don't always have a guarantee of that. The coolest thing that I ran into in terms of a solution to that imbalance of who gets represented and who doesn't Mm -hmm. is in California, they have a rule for their state legislature that they must consider both sides of an issue, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is really cool. And I think we could maybe build into a practice uh, in the process of lawmaking to say, okay, I will meet with you on your issue, whatever it might be. Uh, as long as you can identify for me the person who opposes you Mm -hmm. and I'll meet with that person too Uh, so that you can use the well-paid lobbyist to help you identify someone who's on the other side who's currently unrepresented you know is it is there a, a librarian in the community is there a social worker is there a minister who might be able to give the other side and then a lawmaker if you purposefully say I'm. I'm going to listen to the people from my district. I'm not going to ignore people because mm-hmm. because I can't hear from both sides. But if I'm going to hear from one side, I'm going to ask them to help me identify who's on the other side so I can hear from both. And I think that might help us move in a better direction there and provide some of those safety measures. And there are some safety measures, mm-hmm. right? There mm-hmm. are there are measures that uh, people can can self-identify and and call up the state gaming board and say, can you put me on a don't get into the casinos list, and they won't be able to come to the casino, Mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of people need to do because it obviously is a big problem for some small percentage of people. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, I've gone on way too long about that, but it's a really interesting issue about representation and and democracy where we assume it always works, Mm -hmm. but sometimes the money Really tilps, tilts tilts yeah. things out of balance.
1: Well, and it's in it's you know money can can find itself manifested as so many different things, right? Money, when given to a lobbyist, is time and access and influence to you know over somebody. Money in terms of you know spent on advertising or paying people to to, to write. Uh, things or or you know having influence over a newspaper, television station, a radio station, a um, you know internet news source that that then that manifests in you know some sort of attempt to control you know exercise control over the public and mm-hmm. you know it's not so much the the dollar itself is not the problem it's what's done with the dollar on the other side yes yes <laughs> yes absolutely absolutely um, the I, I I had not expected for uh, the gambling component to be so timely. (laughs) I'll have to
0: send you a copy of, of the draft of the article. I'm I'm very,
1: I'm very interested in that. Um, shucks. Well, I'll I'll do a complete pivot off of, off of that then and and into something kind of as we, as we near the, the later stages of our conversation. Um, so I, so I live on a, on a road that's, that's got a family name on it, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, just like many people around town have streets named for themselves and it's kind of just a cool feeling that, you know, oh, okay, well, you know, so-and-so was here before me and, and our name gets to be on stuff. But you get to drive around town, or sorry, <laughs> bike, bike around, around. town, <laughs> uh, you know, and see places that that have, uh, you know, placards with your name on it just the same. What, what, is, what is that feeling Like, is there, is there anything that's like almost an out of body, ethereal, like experience, (laughs) just, oh, there's my name again. And it's a, and it's on something that's a big deal. (laughs) Well,
0: so it's, it's a blast too. and in fact, when I'm going between Carbondale and McCanda Drive that we often do, um, I'll purposefully go down the street that Uh we're on here on Cherry Street uh, to see the federal building to, says U.S. Senator Paul Simon, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is very cool. Um, I love the bow tie on the McCann water tower, uh-huh. although it does, it looks like he needs a shave. It's a little bit dirty on the bottom side. I don't I, know they're I, going to clean that. I, I've got, um, I've
1: got an, I've got, an, I mean, Josh judge has been wanting to clean that for years now. Judge services <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, as somebody that, I, uh, that I've known since, since college time. I feel like w- whenever that kicks over whenever he gets the truck big enough whenever he gets the ladder big enough to get up there uh i'll see if i can connect you too and we'll make very it a good. big old event. See how, <laughs> yes. that, see how that goes yeah. if, if bunkum water district will let people up there Who yes knows? that's, that's <laughs> the other that's the other trick oh you mean there's an actual governing body that kind of yeah. oversees all this and you got to get their approval before you can just go you go close it down yes. yeah <laughs> but it's
0: very cool it's very cool i love it i love nice. it. the water tower in particular
1: Yeah, No, and that is just a a landmark of of Southern Illinois through and through.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) When Dad ran for president, um, Jeff Rowan, who lives down the road from Mom and Dad's house in Macanda, and who built Mom and Dad's house in Macanda, organized some folks, and they they got a billboard not too far from the Smiley Tower that said, Welcome to Macanda, home of presidential candidate Senator Paul Simon. (laughs) And, And they were... It was that was very cool. I know Jeff when he sold his truck that he had at the time tried to convince the buyer of the of the used vehicle. He said this is much more valuable because it's got a Paul Simon sticker on the back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it worked, but it was worth a try. Anyway, it's it's nice because it's a it's a recognition of local folks who appreciated what Dad did. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. very cool.
1: Well, uh, and then you know just the 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 conversation on national. So I've got my, my six changer CD in my old Honda uh, is, is stuck. And I have not <laughs> been able to listen to the Paul Simon CD that I've had in there for years now, which I received because at when, when WSIU uh, held the viewing party for, oh my gosh, what what was the film that came out post uh, following your father's passing and it was, I, I don't know, it was, there was a documentary and then there was a CD. There's, there's a whole package of media that, that was, they provided. Yes, yes. Um, where am I going with? Oh, um, in, in, in the last, the last track on there having the wait, wait, don't tell me <laughs> uh, piece on it. And then seeing things like, you know, you can go back and, and find him on Saturday Night Live. Find the clip from that, from, did now, you get to go with on the Saturday Night Live so gig?
0: I was not there. My, oh. my brother went with him to New York for that. <laughs> Perry and I were, you know, he was running for president at the time. Perry and I were campaigning in, I can't remember, somewhere in eastern Iowa. And we were heading back to our apartment at the time in West Des Moines, this place called Old English Village, like with the fake Tudor beams. (laughs) It was like the only place it would rent month to month. Um, And we're driving back and we're hoping we can get back to a TV set. and, And it was horrible snow. And as close as we could get was Grinnell, Iowa. And we're like, it's a college town. They've got to have a bar with a television on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. So we came in, and and, it was a kind of seedy bar. And I said, would you mind turning your TV to NBC? My dad's going to be on television there tonight. And they said, for how long? (laughs) (laughs) Just the beginning is all I need to see. And so we watched it at this CD bar in Grinnell, Iowa, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, dad's not, you know, <laughs> he's not built for comedy, uh-huh. and this and it's live, and, and he did fine. He walked out with Paul Simon yeah. together, and uh, they talked about how they got confused for each other, which is very sweet, and then Paul Simon <laughs> the singer came and campaigned for dad when dad ran for Senate, so I got to meet him. And when they do events together, uh-huh. Paul Simon, the singer, would introduce my dad by calling him the tall Paul Simon, ah, oh, which my five foot nine inch dad loved. <laughs> He's like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, the tall Paul Simon.
1: <laughs> that's, that's funny. And that's, that, that sounds so carbonyl in of itself because you got tall Paul. We've got old go. tall Paul. Man, that's and crazy. A different tall Paul. Around. Yeah. <laughs> any, any, do you have any one? person or, or a couple of folks that you've met throughout your life and throughout your journey that just stick out as like a wow moment, a wow person, a a wow encounter that, that just, it'll always be stuck with you? So I remember
0: when dad was leaving the Senate, um, this would have been 19... 90-ish. Anyway, he was in the Senate, but it it was his last term. And Mm -hmm. Perry and I went out over spring break. Um, I was pregnant with Riley. Uh, And uh, and Dad said, well, you know, this might be the last time you're out here while I'm a senator. Is there anyone you want to meet? And I said, I'd love to meet Janet Reno, the Attorney General of the Uh United States. And Dad said, okay, we'll see if we can make that happen. And so we got to go meet Janet Reno, and we sat down in this waiting room. And Perry and I are just, you know, like <laughs> just, just thrilled with the idea, of just being there at the Justice Department. And uh, and the receptionist said, you know, have a seat, and she'll be out here soon. And and she walked down this long hallway, and we could see her walking down the hallway. Like, oh my, this is so wonderful and amazing. And she had someone take a picture of us together. And she said, well, now that we've done that, let's go back to my office. And she got out her atlas at the United States. She says, tell me where you live. So we live in, in Macanda at the time. We live in Macanda. Um, and she found that on And she said, oh, uh, Chuck Grace is your U.S. attorney. He's a good man. And, uh, and, and, we, and she talked with us for a while. I asked her what she missed about not being in Florida. Um, she said she really missed... Uh, child support enforcement cases that she loved making sure that people who are trying to weasel out of their child support obligation had to pay. Yeah. And and those are really fun cases to prove, you know, the people who try and claim they have no money and yet have this much in their uh-huh. budget and their regular spending. Um, so she, gosh, what a hero. Uh, and this was after she had already, you know, said, uh, in response to Waco and all the people who, there's the horrible the horror there, um, said I take responsibility, mm-hmm. and and I so admired that uh, someone willing to say yeah that was a bad thing that happened, and yes I'm the one in charge and yes uh, whether I had anything to do with it or not I'm the one who should take responsibility and what a what a hero in that moment she was so to get to meet her that was pretty cool.
1: <sighs> Yeah, that, that speaks to something. Uh, the the accountability issue, right? That that really I, you know, I I would I feel like underpins a lot of our problems in our in our uh, present discourse. Yep. Right, and and that some people may look at somebody saying, "I messed up. I I own this. This is my fault." as as not being enough, but it really is just that introduction into the next phase of conversation where the change happens.
0: Right. What do we do to make it better next time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you've been talking with a lot of policy institute people um, recently, which I appreciate. And I was thinking of the the series of directors uh, and uh, Mike Lawrence was one who they've all been fabulous. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking with Mike uh, before running f- for lieutenant governor, uh, and talking about, well, you know, things will go wrong. What, you know, what, what kind of plans of action do you have for when things go wrong? He says, we have to know that things are going to go wrong. Mm -hmm. You Anticipate that. It's how you respond when things go wrong that counts. It's not whether you can absolutely prevent it because you can't. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and to be, uh, willing to take responsibility publicly when something does go wrong on your watch is a huge deal. Huge deal. And we don't see that often enough. We see a lot more finger-pointing and Mm blame-shifting from leaders now when we should see, yeah, that that one shouldn't have happened, and I'm someone who could have prevented it from happening, but I am the person who's going to see to it that it doesn't happen again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) That is... Yeah, and I and I and I can't say that we're gonna to see to it that a conversation like this doesn't happen again. Uh, you know, as we as we get later on in these, maybe in the three or four hundreds, we'll have we'll have some revisiting conversations. I think this this would definitely uh, qualify as one of the good ones to have. Episode eighty of the WTF Carbondale podcast, my guest Sheila Simon. Uh, have a good one, folks. Whatever that one may be.